The pharmaceutical industry is a complex and fascinating field. It takes countless of people to bring a high-quality product to the market. In the Qualitox podcast, I bring to you leaders, experts, and innovators who will share their experiences and explain to us how they do it. Welcome to the Qualitox podcast. I'm Yannick Kugler, your host, and my guest today is Daniel Milik. Daniel is a computer system validation expert, and today we are going to talk about this topic of computer system validations. He is going to give tips how to... Uh, be better in this, how to choose the vendors, uh, what uh, mistakes to avoid uh, when uh, choosing a computer system for your processes, and he'll give a lot of tips uh, how to uh, write uh, good user system requirements and uh, protocols. So let's get to it. Hi Daniel, welcome back to the Qualitox podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks Jan. Uh, Good to be back uh, after our recent uh, data integrity talk. Check it out, guys. Good talk. On, yeah, it uh, was history, YouTube, and LinkedIn. It was a great talk, and uh, we wanted to, to continue that because uh, at the end we said, okay, uh, the um, data integrity is the first uh, part. Now you need to validate it. So we have uh, we talked about uh, the policies and the governance and why it's important and so on, and uh, and now. Uh, we came uh, to the conclusion good now you need to verify um, that it works and uh, that's what uh, we want also to touch uh, today and go to the uh, computer system validation um, how it uh, works why it's important and so on right so Daniel why so why is computer system validation is so important nowadays um well you know it's um it's really a case of the pervasiveness of software uh, within the pharmaceutical industry really um you know as the years have gone on especially in the last uh, 10 or 15 years uh, there's been a definite movement away from uh, paper records and paper processes to uh, electronic software processes software packages have become much much more sophisticated uh, allowing uh, many processes to go almost totally paperless or, or com- uh, in some cases have gone totally paperless uh, with sophisticated interfaces and so on. Um, so, of course, there needs to be confidence that um, those processes, whether it's laboratory or uh, operationally in the factory, uh, that the output of those processes you know, it could be lab testing data or factory management of uh, factory systems. The 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 uh, the the company who is operating those systems can have full confidence in the output of those systems, um, so that uh, it can be said with certainty or a high degree of of, of uh, sureness that um, the system is producing the intended. Uh, or expected results. How is uh, the system, computer system validation is different uh, from other process validations that uh, are so established in the pharmaceutical industry? The biggest part of the work, I, I well, I, I was going to say I think, but I know <laughs> after many uh, years' experience, is uh, in the tailoring of the uh, software settings. That's where the real, you know, the a lot of people think of uh, CSV as a bit of a dark art, and um, 
I suppose in some ways it is because to really get the best out of uh, a system, um, you you know you really have to know the software and the IT infrastructure aspects of a system um, to really be able to tailor the settings. So you know there's a trick in knowing and understanding all of those elements. So you know it's it's quite tricky because the person who's doing the work or the people doing the work they need to have experience really as, as from a user's perspective uh, they need to uh, understand the IT elements of the process and you know all the data integrity uh, aspects of the of the process and then also be able to bring that all together to configure a system and then obviously to validate um so it's kind of a challenging uh difficult to find skill set um so so you know the to be able to execute csv uh well um it, yeah it's, it's it can be pretty challenging and of course working cross-functionally as well is required within the business to get to get it done so there's a project management uh, um, aspect to it as well so last time I rem we also talked about uh, the multidisciplinary team that uh, should be put on on uh, the decision of uh, data integrity and uh, uh, there should be people who know the system because they can uh, play with it and they um, really need to have the knowledge and the interest to dig in and to find the loopholes in the system and so on. Uh, so, and the, do you believe that right now the people in the pharmaceutical industry who work and work on the CSV are not uh, qualified enough uh, really to do it? I think um, it's difficult to find people with the right skills for sure and i think if you don't if a company doesn't have people who bring all of that uh, to the mix um so for example in my case i you know i was working in a lab for um many years uh, i was a lab manager um i worked on bringing new systems into the laboratories um so i've seen it from the users you know the the the, the bench analysts um perspective and then i taught myself and with the help of others uh, to an extent the you know the it aspects um of systems introduction and then you know move, made the move into validation um so i kind of bring all of the uh, elements required to introduce a new system um but you know i am quite rare i think not to sound like i'm you know <laughs> magnificent I, maybe i am you can say that let's say that um but yeah a lot of companies don't have um people with all of those skills so then it becomes a case of you know people having to uh, work as teams i think and then you know working cross-functionally to uh, ensure that all of those things are covered uh, so it's definitely a challenge mm -hmm. um, and then you know the more uh, complex and tailorable configurable 
a system is, the more challenging it is. How did you choose this path? So I was working as a lab manager um, and it was during a period where there was a lot of uh, budget sign-off for replacement of old legacy systems. Um, and so over the period of about two or three years, virtually all, almost all the uh, lab place with more modern, you know, more uh, configurable, uh, more compliant systems. Um, and there just simply wasn't anyone around uh, to do it. So, you know, I, I, I wanted to, to do something different. I've been, you know, working in the labs uh, for many years, so I fancied a change. Um, and uh, just told my boss at the time that I'll do it, you know, I'll, I'll take care of it. Um, so I uh, did a bit of reading up um, on uh, data integrity, validation, spoke to the right people, uh, went to some good seminars as well, including the Gantt forums uh, and uh, some data integrity seminars. Um, so, yeah, just sort of made that transition out of necessity, really, for the company that I was at at the time. Then you understood that uh, this is the right thing for you and uh, it's a very interesting topic. Yeah, I quite enjoy the work. Um, I also saw very early on that, you know, because of the cross-functional uh, working that we've already uh, mentioned, um, and the, the need to be able to drive things forward and get things done, uh, managing the vendors as well, even you know even down to deciding what to buy and negotiating price, you know all of that side of things. I could see that there was a big project management um, element to the work as well. So at that time, I uh, did uh, the Prince Two uh, project management uh, course and uh, took the exams and and became a project, you know, officially a project manager. Um, so, yeah, it was just, you know, I think like most people in their careers, you know, part circumstance, necessity, seeing an opportunity. And then when I started doing the work, I realized I was pretty good at it, or at least people were telling me that I was pretty good at it. And um, just never look back, really. What is your advice for companies that they want to train uh, people uh, to understand uh, CSV a bit better? Uh, where Where is the shortage? What they, should they do to make sure that all the people that uh, um, work with equipment uh, know, have the knowledge and the understanding? Because I think that uh, we talked about it, let's start with when we talked about data integrity, we said that. Um, some people lack the knowledge to understand what shouldn't be done and also some managers lack the knowledge to uh, find the loopholes and they are not even aware that uh, some uh, employees uh, know about the loopholes because they themselves uh, lack the knowledge to look for them to understand uh, to understand it so um, what uh, should um, people learn know what should be more in the practice what should be more uh, learned about so in GMP you learn a lot about, about documentation and so on and so on but I think uh, 
not so much about uh, CSV. So you, you sometimes you have some uh, seminar about it, but uh, you don't really uh, get your hands uh, dirty and uh, and then um, you learn nothing practical, basically, if you're not really uh, uh, working in the field. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely true. You know, there's only so much... Uh, you can gain from going to a seminar. Um, although, you know, some of them are really good. Um, but yeah, for someone who has, or, you know, for a company that's never really done in-house uh, CSV and systems configuration work before, of course, they lack, you know, the people that are thinking about doing the work then can't picture it and can't put it into context that way you know i've never maybe never seen um a typical like factory system or um laboratory software package in in terms of going into the the really deep settings and how those settings can be tailored and how a workflow can be uh, crafted and refined uh, and then validated. Yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a tricky one. I would say certainly, certainly do read uh, the data integrity um, literature that's out there. Um, go to the seminars. Um, some of the seminars actually, you know, the people that go to them um, are very knowledgeable. And you know, in, the, in like the Q and A's, or even during the lunch break. Uh, some of the most useful information can be can be found then just by talking to people who do it. But yeah, there's no no real substitute for having someone show you how it's done. And I mean, certainly at the moment, I'm working with a company and going through the process of showing their uh, permanent staff because I you know I'm there as a contractor uh, showing their permanent staff, you know how, how I do it and what needs to be considered and thought about and how it's all should be documented and evidenced you know in terms of the configuration configuration management the testing the use of uh, good quality uh, validation test scripts with appropriate screenshot evidence and you know all of that side of things i would say that wherever possible uh, Certainly, I mean, this sounds like shameless uh, self-promotion, but if you if you can get hold of a contractor uh, uh, like me who has been doing the work for for years with that experience, uh, to try and get them in, you know, even if it's just for a couple of days uh, to give some training, uh, that's definitely a big uh, a, a big boost uh, for companies looking to uh, do their own in-house uh, CSV. And uh, when you go to those uh, companies and you explain to them how things work, do you find that they're sometimes surprised about some of the things that you tell them that you think that they, this should be obvious and you see, okay, uh, they should have known that or it's surprising that they don't know that because it could lead to uh, so many uh, problems with the regulators? Yeah, all of that, actually, yeah, mix. So some surprise uh and and sort of a revelation you know oh now we understand why it takes so long 
now we uh, understand why you have to do consider this and consider this and uh, you know take the administration of the system out of the away from the lab people and configure the user roles and why um, why you have to show this level of evidence in the uh, in the validation. Um, certainly, once you tell them about some audit experiences that you've had where you've been sat with an auditor and they've uh, said things like, show me the configuration. Um, how have you proven that the users cannot do this? You know, and then, um, of course, in that audit situation, you need to prove the claims that are made about a process and a system. Um, so yeah, um, bit of a wake up call uh, in a lot of cases, um, and um, I've found that yeah, the people that you talk to in that way, they they go away, they come out of it with a, a more, much more of an appreciation of why it needs to be done, um, and how it should be done. So what are the biggest misconceptions? Uh, that qualification is validation. That's probably the biggest, you know, uh, that perception that we buy a new system, the vendor comes in, runs a few tests, and then it's ready to go, ready to use. No. <laughs> Most often, not the case. Uh, virtually always not the case. Um, you know, qualification is, um, you know, some rudimentary tests that are run to prove that some some functions of a system are working as expected or as desired. Um, you know, typically the software package that comes with the system, whether it's factory or lab, um, you know, there's hardly any tailoring that's gone on. You know, the work, the optimized workflow isn't there. Um, sometimes the software is really just an empty shell as it's qualified. You know, then the vendor may do a communications test to ensure that the software is um, operating the instrument or the machine in the factory. Uh, and that's about it. You know, no user roles or no refined user roles, no segregation of data, no data standards, no optimized workflow. Um, no, you know, challenging of the audit trails to prove that they are accurate and th and uh, thorough. Um, maybe no con uh, tailored and optimized uh, reports, and uh, no automated uh, calculation set up for reporting. You know, the reports may be quite lacking. So uh, there's a lot of work to do. You uh, usually uh, an awful lot of work to do after qualification. So uh, that's probably the biggest one. Um, that users, uh, particularly, you know, particularly the users, um, assume that because the vendor comes in and does some basic tests, that that's good enough for the system to then be used. But not, not the case. So, in your opinion, companies trust uh, the documents that they get from the manufacturer, the supplier, uh, too much, and uh, they trust uh, them uh, to provide them all the validation documents and uh, that uh, the system is ready for use plug and uh, plug and play but uh, it's not the case and uh, i do think uh, that many 
really uh, fail to understand that, that they also need to do a lot of in-house testing and uh, validation and not only um, just rely on the manufacturer's uh, documentation? Yeah, and really that is the expectation uh, in the industry. You know, why would you, I mean, no disrespect to the vendors. I mean, some 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 of the vendors that I've worked with over the last, uh, well, quite a few years now, um, are fantastic, you know, and the products are great. Um, not always, but most often. Um, you know, you can't really trust a, a vendor to tell you that their product's great of course they're going to tell you it's great um but you know the level of testing that they do is not nowhere near sufficient you know anyway uh, so that that's really the main thing um but yeah even down to you know we talked about qualification um there's quite a lot of, from what i've seen quite a lot um of customers uh not even reviewing the vendor's qualification protocols before the installation's done. Um, you know, and then months down the line, um, users, managers having to sit down in an, in an audit and then, you know, with the qualification, the vendor qualification on the desk, or on the screen because the audit the auditor is requested to see it, and then the auditor is asking uh, somebody to explain qualification. And quite often the vendor vendor qualifications are just they don't really have much rationale quite often to explain all the tests. So then there's that embarrassing time in an audit where the person being asked to explain the qualification can't do it because. The qualification is just test result, test result, without really any explanation as to what the test is for or how the acceptance criteria have been set as they have. You know, why is that, is that an appropriate test? Um, so, yeah, a lot of trust of the vendors, probably too much trust quite often, even down to um, deciding what to buy. You know, a lot of a lot of that is done on too much trust with the vendors. I think you know, really, the only the only way to know if a system is going to be okay for you is to get your hands on it and 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 try it yourself. You know, get a demo, get it on site, or at least go to the vendor and and spend a, a day or two, you know, using it. And I, I am, do the vendors open with it and uh, provide such uh, demos. Or you really need to ask for that? Yeah, uh, the good ones will. Um, you know, sometimes um, it takes, well, most often it takes um, some organization, of course. But yeah, the, if the vendor's uh, serious about selling you something and, they're, and they're, they're a good vendor, yeah, of course they will. Yeah, because I, I think it's a really important thing to really test uh, the system, test the software, because uh, you are uh, not buying a shoe, right? So you you need to make sure that it uh, functions well with your system and that you need to make sure it uh, provides all, uh, all the um, settings you need and uh, it can have all the customizations you need or not to have customizations that you really need to avoid and so on so you really uh, need 
to be hands-on, bring uh, operators that uh, will be using the system and uh, play with it uh, really to make sure that uh, it's a, it's a good uh, software for uh, your processes. Because otherwise, if you buy it, it's really difficult to change it. So first of all, you buy it, you need to validate it and qualify uh, the, everything. It takes so much time. And then you, suddenly you realize, okay, it doesn't work for us. And then you just wasted so much time and money and uh, you cannot uh, uh, do anything because it's too late, <laughs> right? So uh, just, it just it really makes sense. And uh, it doesn't matter nowadays when you go and buy any service, you usually get uh, some uh, some demo and some uh, trial. So it's a good idea really uh, to, to ask for it. And um, what are the stages? So um, let's say you have chosen a software uh, to be used in the quali quality control or the production. So where, what uh, would be the steps uh, to validate it? So first of all, before you buy, test it. Uh, wh what's then? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so good URS, uh, user requirement specification, you know, make it clear. Uh, what the hardware requirements are and what the software requirements are uh, in terms of usability and compliance features um, to do then um, some sort of study of the system so um, you know many companies will call that a dq design qualification you some some companies will call it a pilot study, you know, hands-on, ideally, assessment of the system, the software, the, the functions, the features, what can be tailored, what can't be tailored, and so on. Um, and then in terms of the um, validation, to have a good validation plan is essential, you know, what the, to state what the system uh, is for uh, its intended uses um, and then you know how based on the intended use or uses uh, what validation is going to be done and why and um, also a validation assessment as well and um, can go with that um, to really def define to state what the de validation deliverables should be uh, also you know what uh, GAMP category the system may fall in um, and then you know to state the amount of uh, the deliverables and the rigor required to then uh, have a good output in terms of a, a, a validated system that can be used for the intended application or applications um, so yeah good validation assessment good validation plan and then good configuration management needs to come after that so the tailoring of any software settings the um all of the it infrastructure so uh pcs in, involved in the system the server side of things if that's involved cloud solutions may be involved um, all of the tailored settings need to be captured documented uh, you know screenshot screenshot everything you know so that someone picking up that configuration document in the future can easily follow it um 
So yeah, a good configuration document, whatever form that may come in. Uh, sometimes it's appropriate to use uh, spreadsheets to, you know, if you've got like a factory system with PLCs, HMI, you know, and multiple manufacturing vessels can be quite useful to use, uh, you know, like uh, process mapping type uh, software packages to really uh, give you a schematic, you know, uh, and then quite often just a Word document as well uh, to, to capture settings. Um, so whatever is required to show all of the configured settings. Um, and then, you know, in terms of executing validation tests to have validate good validation test scripts. Um, and uh, obviously SOPs as well. So once the uh, configuration the optimal configuration has been decided. Uh, you know, the, the SOPs will come from that as well uh, in consultation with the users. Uh, so SOPs, guidance documents, whatever is required. Um, really a good idea to have a separate administration SOP as well for whoever's going to be administering the system. Uh, it's important. Um, and then, you know, uh, uh, good validation summary report to summarize all of the validation uh, requirements, traceability matrix to track all of the testing and then tie it in to tie in the testing with uh, user requirements. So that brings it all together. Um, and really the most important thing, you know, whenever, whatever claims we're making about a system, it needs to be shown. So, for example, if, if if we're making the claim that, you know, the laboratory user role of super user can do these things within the system, but cannot do these things within the system, as an example, um, that needs to be evidence. And if the evidence isn't there, how can you demonstrate to an auditor that that, that, that is true? So you need to show that uh, the um, uh, lab technician cannot do this or that. He cannot access those on those files. And you need to uh, demonstrate that uh, this setting is grayed out or he just doesn't have an access with uh, screenshots or uh, yeah. whatever to show that uh, the settings are uh, blocked. And um, so you mentioned um, a lot of steps and it sounds... Uh, a lot of work and it is a lot of work and uh, it's uh, it's not that uh, easy and um, and I think also people sometimes say take it too lightly because sometimes you also need to do so much work also for a, an Excel sheet with macros that uh, and um, it's sometimes when you have a huge a, a huge uh, manufacturing equipment and you do need to do validation so people take it really seriously uh, because it's a part of the whole manufacturing process it's a really huge machine and uh, it's a big software but sometimes they just overlook like small equipment small software that uh, uh, has an input output and input and output uh, that uh, really can jeopardize uh, the whole uh, um, 
the whole data integrity or um, yeah uh, and everything so they just uh, don't think okay we need to do so much work for one excel sheet or uh, some small uh, software uh, so but you'll need to do it uh, in some cases so i don't know if you if you want to talk about uh, gum 5 maybe you can address it uh, shortly uh, but let's say uh, we talked uh, at first you go with the user requirements and you said okay let's have good user requirements uh, wh- what is a good user requirement because we talked about it a bit in our last podcast that sometimes you said people write only one sentence i want it uh, i want the software uh, yeah uh, to be pink i don't know <laughs> or to to give me that output uh, but uh, they do it like in one sentence and uh, usually it's not enough so what is a good user requirement specification yeah so i suppose it's useful to think about what is a bad one so in that, in our last uh, talk on data integrity see i use that example well i've seen this in a urs which doesn't really look like a urs it's kind of like a two-page minimum you know but people will know what i'm talking about <laughs> um where it will just say something like you know there's quite a, a bad urs will be like quite a lot of hardware requirements and then the software is just like one requirement that says must comply with cfr 21 part 11 and it's like right okay well what about everything else you know so for example CFR what should uh, what should be part of it uh, usually yeah, I mean, it's important, of course, but, you know, CFR 21 yeah. part 11 is yeah. about... No, I mean, uh, what, what else uh, should they uh, really put in? What, uh, what's usually missing? Yeah, so good uh, URS requirements are very, you know, the granularities there. So, for example, um, you know, a, a simple example would be um, that... Uh, the audit trails are uh, detailed and capture all of the um, key user actions um, and that the audit trail cannot be edited or deleted. That's a simple one. Mm-hmm. So basically, just don't say uh, CFR Part 11, explain in details what the software should do and what it uh, shouldn't do. And uh, usually you probably need to look at the manual of the software and they really um address each point uh, because usually you sometimes there are software but you use only 10 percent of it for your uh, purpose but then uh, you need to address the other 90 percent and say why it's not applicable and why uh, nobody has access to it and why nobody should have access to it yeah and um you, you know even things like and you're and the, the all of the the, th- the items in the URS, they don't all have to be, you know, must-have requirements. Sometimes it, they're just would-likes, but, you know, put them in. So, for example, a would-like would be uh, user accounts um, can be linked to the business uh, Windows accounts via LDAP or uh, Windows AD groups. You know, not essential because you could still administer the user accounts for the uh, system software from within whatever administration features the system software has. Um, But ideally, it would be nice to be able to link in with the user's Windows account so the credentials are the same and dynamically linked, you know, so that 
the user accounts um, perfectly align with the company's uh, Windows account policies and so on. Um, I mean, for example, so for the URS, the software URS uh, that that I have, that is my my company URS template that I use um, for the software requirements. There are about 35, 33, 35 separate requirements, uh, which is obviously very different to the must comply with CFR 21 R11. <laughs> so you really need to, to assess what you need. And um, it's really um, good to think about uh, all the aspects that you say, because sometimes um, there are many uh, software that you bring that uh, they don't integrate well with your Windows accounts and then you have you must have different uh, passwords uh, for each uh, software and it uh, brings more difficulty to to track it to make sure that everything works uh, well yeah. so it's a it's really a good idea to really uh, think about convenience that uh, maybe sometimes yeah. people uh, people forget about a uh, convenience convenience yeah I mean even simple things like um the software must be compatible with Windows 10. You know, if your company's moved away from, say, Windows 7 and it's no longer used, um, what if the software you're thinking of buying isn't compatible with Windows 10, only 7? You know, things like that, people can get caught out very easily with things like that. Um, what if the software isn't compatible with your Windows uh, server version? Um, all kinds of things. So really, all of the infrastructure, uh, IT infrastructure side of things needs to be considered. You've got to ensure that the software is compatible with your IT setup within your business. Um, and then, yeah, all of the compliance features, audit trails, configurable user roles, segregation of data, uh, suitable data location, um the the system files cannot be edited or deleted that there are e-signatures that those e-signatures once applied lock the process results or te test you know um yeah and to really separate out those requirements is, is is really important and then of course if you do a good job with the urs then it's a lot easier uh further down the line to sh demonstrate that you have a uh, tested all of those, tested the software and the system uh, to prove that all of those features are there. Um, so then it makes your life a lot easier with a good URS. Later on, when you write the uh, requirements traceability, um, so that you can show that this CSV test proves that that user requirement is met. And, um, you know, when it's done well, it is it's almost almost a pleasure to discuss it with an auditor if it's done well because you, you know the auditor sees what you've done as a good job and the auditor's perception of that is that you're doing good work and uh, good csv and that you're in control of your processes exactly and um, you said also what's um, important, of course, is the validation uh, plan. So uh, what are uh, examples for bad validation plans? And what, what is usually missing from a validation plan? 
Uh, to be honest, I've never really seen a terrible validation plan. I mean, it's always good just to see one at all. You know, some some companies don't do a validation plan. Um, they just go straight into the configuration part of the work. Um, so, you know, being clear what the deliverables are, what documents need to be produced and why, who's going to do the work, um, who, who will approve the various documents and stages. Um, and, you know, even up front, actually being able to give document references within the plan. You know, if the documents, the, the, the draft documents are generated at that stage, then why not, you know, state the document references so it's all nice and traceable. And, of course, to take some of the pain away from that, you know, the DQ is a top tip. If you use an Excel spreadsheet for your URS with a, maybe a, a, an accompanying approvals document, um, your DQ can just be uh, the URS with an extra column. The column that says how you've demonstrated that that requirement is, is, is there, with you know, that function is there. Do you have uh, some more uh, tips like that, uh, how uh, people can uh, do the process easily which, with uh, such um, yeah, small adjustments? Um. A good one good tip um, that comes to mind straight away is if, if the software that you have has good configurable reporting, so whether it's a lab report, you know, from a lab test or factory process, try and tailor the reports to include all of the information that you would want to check, you know, process by process. Because um, that saves, that can save you the trouble of having to interrogate audit trails on, the, on a regular basis. You know, quite often uh, reports are uh, tailorable to the point where you can include everything uh, that you might want to check within the report. Um, and then, of course, you can do a validation uh, test script to show that the uh, information um, in question perfectly tallies with what's in the audit trail or audit trails. Um, so, yeah, we're, and then, of course, you, you make the, uh, the, the, pro, the, the result and process easier then by cutting out. Uh, the step of having to check the audit trails every time you use the system. I mean, you may still want to do it periodically uh, as part of an annual self-inspection or something like that. So that's a good tip. Uh, having admin SOPs. Many companies slick those SOPs. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, you know, so the sort of things that would be included in there are obviously you, management of user accounts, um, how to um, manage any sort of uh, system-specific uh, uh, things that may may arise. You know, some software packages have, let's say, features, maybe bugs that maybe throw up 
problems once in a while. So how to deal with those. Um, sometimes the users can make mistakes and then the software can be put into a state that uh, may need some, uh, you know, they may need some assistance to correct it. Um, you know, how to manage um, updates to license files as new systems are added to a network, you know, things like that, all sorts of things. And of course, those things are, uh, you know, the, the, the fact, the, you know, your average factory or lab user doesn't need to know about that stuff. So why have it in their SOP? And then likewise, you know, the, whoever's administering the, the, the system, they don't necessarily know how to knee training, how to use it on a day-to-day -day basis. So, yeah, segregation of responsibilities is, is important. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a good tip. Thank you. And uh, Daniel, do you think that we should also to talk about uh, GAM5? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the sort of the... It's, it's, there's a temptation to, um, well, from not from me, but I've certainly seen at some companies where, you know, the GAMP categories of software, um, that people can get a bit bogged down in, in trying to pigeonhole a, a, a software and then saying, well, you know, because it's this category, we'll only do this. Um, in terms of testing, um, I would, you know, avoid that. Um, but, you know, the, the GAMP categories can be useful. Um, there can be, there can be a bit of a gray area sometimes between what is a category three system and what is a category four system. Um, so for example, a, a laboratory, a software package that runs a gas chromatography or some gas chromatography system. So, you know, a chromatography data system software package. Um, some, some companies may uh, classify that as a category three software. Some would uh, categorize it as a category four software every time. Um, But then again, you know, the the deliverables in terms of what need what work needs to be done to configure that software and then test it for CSV, the deliverables, whether it's a category three or four, would typically be the same. So does it really matter? Well, yeah, it, it matters, but what's really important is that the the rigor um, is appropriate in terms of how much effort is gone goes into configuring the software and then testing it that's what's really important and really gamp has made that shift in more recent years away from that sort of rigorous prescriptive you know classification of systems more to a risk-based approach um you know it's really more important to consider well what are you using the system for and then you know you should do testing that is appropriate in terms of, you know, what is the, you know, the use of that system, how much, how ultimately, you know, what is the risk to the, uh, the patient? So, you know, 
comes down to patient safety um whether it's you know in a, in a clinical setting or that you're using the system to test a product that goes to market a medicinal product that goes to market um so yeah you know gamp5 is certainly very useful absolutely um and you know provided that it's used as a guide guidance you know there's no replacement for common sense and really companies should be doing their own sort of risk assessment and risk management and uh, you know documenting within their own in-house documents as uh, as to what testing is appropriate because of the use of that system so how can um, companies recognize uh how deeply they need to go into the risk analysis uh, so uh, gum5 helps uh, with categorizing the system and uh, give some guidance what to do when you have uh, uh, plus five four three and one but uh, as you said uh, really important right now is uh, the risk-based approach so people who don't have so much experience uh, how can they really determine where they should put the, their energy into? Um, so really what's key is, you know, um, a good process map. So how the system will be used. Um, any sort of what I would describe as data transaction hotspots uh, within the process. So input into the system, uh, any transcription steps in terms of the users inputting sample data, uh, any data transactions within the system are um, need extra attention. Um, and so of course, the process needs to be defined and, and, and well understood. Um, and then you know, wherever there are any potential, um, let's say, uh, sort of um, risk areas in terms of data integrity, that then they, those points in the process must be tested thoroughly through CSV. So wherever data is entered, any calculations that are done, any reporting uh, that's done needs to be thoroughly tested. So I, it's really a case of identifying where those data integrity risks may be, wherever it is in that process, and then for that to be documented, and then to be able to demonstrate that you have executed CSV testing that addresses where those risks may be. And, you know, really to demonstrate that the, you've reduced the risk um, or eliminated the risk through the configuration wherever possible, you know, to prevent users from doing certain actions. For example, it eliminates risk. Uh, sometimes you have to accept risk uh, because the software may not have the functions within it to prevent users from doing certain things. Uh, but then to be transparent about that and, and state that, within the CSV if, if that sort of weakness persists. And then it may be that you can control that through procedure rather than software controls. And to be clear about that as well within the CSV, maybe not you know, bring it to the attention of the users, 
that there is this weakness in the software, uh, but then but certainly to give them a procedure that uh, makes sure that uh, any deficiencies that are left because the software is not that capable are you know, taken care of through good procedure. So when you do the risk analysis, um, does it make sense uh, to bring to bring uh, the vendor some expert from the uh, vendor side uh, to the table to sit uh, with you and uh, think about uh, all the risks and, uh, and um, maybe point out something that you didn't know about the system? Yeah, and um, absolutely. So, you know, if we sort of think about the stage where you bought a system that you think is going to be good, you have it on site, you're deep into the configuration work, tailoring all the settings. Um, absolutely, you know, email the email the vendor, ring the vendor, get them to come and see you if they're, you know, willing to do that um, so that you can have, you know, as much input from them as possible if it's useful to, to get the best configuration, the best workflow and the best uh, security features in place before um, a system is validated. Uh, and of course, important to think about what we're actually validating. You know, it's qualification will uh, sort of verify certain uh, functions of a system, uh, whether that's vendor or in-house qualification. But really, when we talk about CSV, um, you know, it is validation. And, uh, and of course, we do the software tests, but really what we're validating is the entire process. Um, everything, you know, not just the software functions, but also the IT infrastructure that's in place and the procedures that go with the use of the system. You know, it is, we are talking about CSV, but really what we're validating is the, pro the process. And it just happens that, you know, in 2020, um, a large amount of that process is the software because that's the age that we live in. But really what we're validating is the whole process. So, yes, you know, the, the software configuration may be fantastic, but the procedures must be fantastic as well. And the support in IT infrastructure also needs to be good. It's, it's the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And then, just think, and then just thinking about GAM5, um, I don't think I sent you a, a picture of this, uh, Jan. Uh, and I know you don't like me holding things up or anyone holding things up in these <laughs> no, talks. No, it's okay. I'm just going to do, do, do one if that's okay. Yeah, no problem. Because there is, there is GAM5. Um, you know, the, 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 the book that everyone's familiar with in, in GAM5. But in terms of laboratory systems, a lot of people don't know that there is actually a laboratory version of that, of GAM5. Um, so the title of it is A Risk-Based Approach to GXP-Compliant Laboratory Computerized Systems. So this has got a, um, you know, a, a specific uh, view on, the, on laboratory systems. So that's really useful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing this. It's a important information. Yeah, and also um, 
I did send you a, a, a screenshot of a very good PICS guidance document, which is the good practices for data management and integrity in regulated GMP, GDP environments. I've got that in front of me. I've not memorized that. <laughs> um, that's also essential reading, I think, when we think about CSV and uh, what is required for good CSV. In it. And then in terms of, you know, and another tip, you know, you mentioned about top tips, screenshots, lots of screenshots, you know, get away from tables that say uh, this is the test, did it pass, and then just a yes or a tick. Not doesn't really cut cut it these days. Um, not sure it ever did really. Screenshot, you know, if if you execute a test that shows that I shouldn't be able to do this within the software, show it, screenshot, show the warning message that, or the information message that comes up to say, user role is not permitted to execute this action. That's what auditors want to see, not a table that's got the word yes in it or a tick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because with everything else, we have data, you know, to back up our information. And uh, when we test uh, lab uh, equipment, uh, and uh, so we, ha we have calibrations and so on, usually we have numbers uh, to back up uh, our tests. Uh, but in this case, uh, it's just a yes, yeah, we did it. But uh, how can you really uh, show that you did it? Um, so uh, screenshots is a great way. So can you really... Uh, show everything with uh, screenshots or sometimes it uh, just um, doesn't cut it. Um, so can you give uh, some more examples what you can uh, um, show and uh, provide information that it really works with this screenshot and maybe something that um, still you cannot do? Uh, so yeah, a combination of, you know, uh, some text, of course, uh, and, then, and then screenshots to go with it. But what's really useful in screenshots, I find, what I personally do, is you know not just a screenshot, um, but you need to guide the reviewers, whoever's reviewing the work, you need to guide their eye to what you're trying to show in that screenshot. So I will uh, typically uh, put the screenshot into Paint. I find Paint is is you know very useful for this. Um, and then I'll just, you know, put a red box around what I'm trying to get them to see or a red circle around what I'm trying to get them to look at. And then with a little bit of explanation in text within the test script. But, you know, whoever's reviewing that work will thank you for that. Um, you know, a really good CSV or any validation is when, you know, if that piece of work goes to a reviewer in the QA department or to an SME, that they can follow it without having to email you or ring you to say, what did you mean by this? Or, you know, it's just easy to follow, like mm -hmm. following a recipe to bake a cake. You know? Yeah. So it's a great uh, advice for system validation. It's a great advice also for SOPs, you know, not just this, when you're writing SOPs about uh, equipment uh, or uh, uh, 
you can do for this when you're writing a SOPs about how to use a software. It's an amazing thing to do a, a step-by-step a screenshot. It also helps uh, the user and they guide him uh, what he really needs to do. And uh, um, it also probably, w- uh, if people play less, if they they just read text they don't always understand to th- what they need to do they try uh, play with the systems and then maybe it's easier for them also to do something they shouldn't and uh, also when you have a screenshot it's easy to follow nobody deviates from the process yeah uh, yeah absolutely and and of course uh, in an audit situation it's fantastic if you have a test sheet that you know it's got good information in the header who's done the test when what is for what uh, protocol it's part of uh, so it's all traceable uh, what the test is for the expected results and the actual results uh, and then all of the screenshot evidence and then a, you know uh, something at the end to say whether it's passed or passed with comment uh, maybe there's a associated uh, uh validation investigation report because something unexpected's happened you know so it's all very clear and then in terms of tests i suppose i could give you some examples of what users uh, what validators should be testing with a typical gmp system so you know what a a good set of test scripts would look like um for a, a pharma system um so just going through uh test sheet test script by test script so um that the pc the system pc is restricted sufficiently so that users cannot access any applications that they shouldn't or don't need to access um that they can't change the pc date and time because quite often the most often the uh the application the process application will pick up the date and time from the PC. Um, you might want to restrict access to the internet, even with firewalls, the internet's a source of malware. Do you really want that on your validated system? Um, user roles, permitted actions, denied actions for each role. And to, so to prove that you things, that the audit trails are accurate, that the audit trails are uh secure that they cannot be edited or deleted that the reports are accurate and cannot be edited or deleted certainly that they can't be edited after um past a point where you don't want them to be edited so typically once e-signatures are applied that the e-signatures are effective in locking the test or the process um that um there's been a good user acceptance test. So, you know, the users go and use the uh, system for a typical process um, and and show that they're happy with it. Um, that any uh, import export steps are robust and work well. Um, yeah, and then, you know, any other you know, system specific tests. So wherever, you know, you're, you're making a claim that, yeah, you know, this, this, this system software has this function, you, you know, you prove it. 
and that that will vary system to system. And um, so typically, um, you know, certainly for a lab system, I work on a lot of lab systems. Um, a typical number of test sheets would be about 12, 13, 14 test sheets. And then, you know, with the screenshots, that's quite a chunk of work. And then with the protocol that goes with it, you know, quite a chunk of work. And it should it should be because there's, you know, a lot of evidence needs to be shown. Okay, thank you for sharing this. Uh, so, Daniel, is there something else that you would like uh, to talk about? Maybe give some uh, tips uh, or uh, what uh, people should avoid doing? Um, yeah, so like we said earlier, you know, don't fall into the trap of um, sort of blindly accepting a vendor's qualification as all that you need to do. Uh, and actually don't accept their qualification as a qualification blindly, you know, make sure that you review everything that the vendor does or is going to do before they do it. Uh, make sure that things are reviewed properly after they've done it. Um, be careful what you buy. We said this a lot in the data integrity talk as well. Um, absolutely crucial. Be careful what you buy. Um, and yeah, if you're unsure uh, as to what needs to be done for CSV, then you know get in touch with uh, someone like me. Uh, I'm happy to um, respond to you know inquiries uh, via email, uh, via the company's email. You know you can Google my company, you'll find us. Mm -hmm. Would you like to share your uh, contact information if somebody has any question? Yeah, if you go to, um, I mean, we have a, a website, it's uh, www.dataintegral.co.uk. You can get in touch that way. The, you know, my, the phone number's on the website, the email is on the website. Uh, you can get in touch, happy to speak to you about, you know, any projects you may have and so on. Um, but, you know, any other uh, contractor as well, or just someone else that you know at another company, go to the uh the seminars uh the forums you know if you're unsure so you know and then just like i made the transition from lab work to uh validation and systems introduction uh you know if you have the resources you know let someone make that transition and if it's factory you know factory you know if someone's working in in your factory uh and they're willing to make or want to make that transition into a validation role let you know let them do it is advice i would give uh because those people become invaluable uh you know it's not always a case of having to rely on contractors like me you know you may have people within the, your business who uh could do the role um at least eventually after you know some training yeah, that's a good advice. So uh, train, 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 and uh, really uh, train your people in uh, computer system validation in IT uh, because uh, being uh, only in the lab or uh, doing some um, work in the pharmaceutical production is uh, nowadays it's not uh, enough already. You need really uh, great IT experts and uh, to have 
those IT experts also experts in production or QA and so on. It's uh, only a benefit for uh, for every company. So thank you uh, very much, Daniel, for uh, all this insight. Yeah, uh, no, it's been good to talk about it actually. And um, yeah, uh, you know, people watching uh, talks like this, you know, these these talks are a great help as well. So I'm sure people get in, could get in touch with you, Jan. You know, if 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 they needed some help with any training and so on, um, you know, never be afraid to ask. Yeah, so always uh, ask, and I'm really always happy when people, uh, and it happens many times, uh, contact me with question on LinkedIn or uh, whatever. I think that's why we're here as a community. That's why we are doing uh, those uh, podcasts and sharing our time and giving uh, our time away uh, for free so we can grow as a community in the pharmaceutical industry. And uh, it's not always about, you know, uh, charging for every bit of information, but... Uh, you know that that's how we get better. We help each other and and so on. So that's a, yeah yeah perfect idea, Daniel. Yeah. So I think on this note we'll finalize our great talk until next time. So thank you very much again, Daniel. Yeah. Thanks, Jan. Good to talk to you again. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of the Quality Talks podcast. If you liked it. Please consider sharing it with your uh, colleagues and make sure to subscribe. Stay compliant and see you in the next one.